0: This episode is brought to you by 9AM Health. 9AM Health, diabetes care that fits your life. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Healing in Hindsight. Your no source for thriving with diabetes. As you, my name is Taylor Danielle, and if you don't. My name is Taylor Danielle. I'm glad to have you here today. So, if you're new, welcome. And if you are returning, welcome back. Today's episode is really cool because I have Dion, who is a virtual dietitian, as she likes to put it, who works with those with pre diabetes or type 2 diabetes, but also non-diabetics, women who are pregnant with diabetes. I can never say the word, y'all. Gestational. Just, okay. You know what I'm talking about. But she is a really great uh, nutritionist and dietitian and coach. And I was really glad to connect with her and sit down and talk about the different things that pop up with nutrition, with diabetes management, especially when it comes to intuitive eating. Uh, Intuitive eating has come up a lot lately. I'm seeing a lot more people in that space. I personally think it's great because it centers around being able to eat specific to your body's needs. Not restricting you, not following any type of eating regimen or plan. It's really just about what your body needs and what feels good and works for you. So Dion has a wealth of information, uh, not only on her Instagram, but just in the conversation that we have today alone. I really feel like I learned a lot and that there's so many aspects of our conversation that point to a bigger theme that the system needs to change and that it's more about behaviors than it is more about following a specific style of eating, if you will. So I really enjoyed this talk. I'm Hopeful that you like it as well. I think there's some great information in there. And once again, want to thank Dion for her time and wisdom and expertise on the subject matter and all of the people's lives that she's changing by helping them lower their A1C without having to overhaul their entire diet or follow a strict rule book of how to eat. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Dion. Let's do it. Perfect. You're listening to Healing in Hindsight. Your no BS source for thriving with diabetes. What's up guys, I'm Taylor Danielle, and it's my goal to help millennial diabetics, like myself, live an amazing life without your diagnosis getting in the way. I get it. I was diagnosed back in 2015 with type two diabetes, and it was really hard to find people around my age to understand how to travel, socialize, or even have meaningful relationships. But I feel like with a focus on mindset, perspective, and nutrition, Together, we can take back our health and our lives. Consider this the red table talk, but for diabetics. Minus the entanglement, so. So let's do it. Hi, Dion. How are you doing today? Hey, I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. I know we were just talking about crazy weather, and it's one of those days here in Texas. I don't know about you, but uh, the AC has not gone off yet because my apartment, is, it's too yeah. hot. <laughs>
1: Heat wave here in Louisville too. It's been in the 90s all week and I'm dying.
0: Yeah. Fun times, fun times. I'm actually dreading the fact that I have to walk to my mailbox and I have this set up by my complex where it's in the leasing office or attached to it rather. And I'm not close. And I I am, I'm actually thinking about being that person who drives to the front and then drives back. And hope That's nobody good. takes my parking spot. <laughs> but I have my next sensor. It's sensor change day for me, and so it's sitting in the mailbox. And so I, sh- I should go get it. Oh. But I've been yeah, you have to go get it. i yeah. putting it off because I'm just like I don't want to walk outside. i will be driving there too. <laughs> <sighs> I'm sure I'll make my dogs go with me, so then they can tucker themselves out for the short walk, and then come back and be like, yeah, yeah. mom, it's hot. My <laughs> oldest dog will get really excited because she's an outside dog, and. Then we'll go out. And I'm like, yeah, you want to be outside? And she's like, no, just kidding. Can I go inside yeah. and have water now? My small one, he's bougie. He don't mind being inside all day. He does not care.
1: <laughs> but, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I had a golden retriever. She passed away in January, but she just always wanted to do whatever she wasn't doing at the moment. If we were inside, she wanted to go outside. If she was outside. She wanted to come inside. It didn't matter what time of year it was. She just always, she had FOMO. She, she just wanted to be where... Everyone else was, in her
0: opinion. I think they would have gotten along just fine because it's, uh, <laughs> it's about the same, um, especially when I want affection from her. Hey, I actually am in the mood to cuddle. I'll let you on the couch. She's like, Mm-mm. why are you bothering me? I want to go <laughs> gnaw my bone over here. And then when I don't want anything to do with her, she's in my face. Huh, Mom, love me. I'm busy. Oh. No, go in the corner. Yeah. Like you were just <laughs> fine by yourself a minute ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's how they are. It's so weird. It it uh, uh translates, especially if I'm doing something like this or I'm on the phone. They've gotten used to it. I've actually been able to leave them out without them making too much noise while I'm recording. Mm-hmm. But if I'm on the phone, especially my parents, I guess that super dog hearing, they they know. They're in my face. Like, they <laughs> want to like talk to me. Yeah, like, they want to talk to me. Why are you not paying attention to me? And I'm like, they don't want to talk to you. Yeah, Stop. That's what it comes down to. They need your attention. <laughs> oh, man. Animals are, are hilarious. My condolences on, on the passing of your little one, but it sounds like she was a great dog.
1: So. Thanks. She was with us for 11 years, so I'm like, okay, I knew she wasn't going to live forever, but yeah. it, it, you don't realize how much they're a part of your life until they're not there. And yeah, it's just, yeah. Oh, focus on the good memories. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's a tough one. And and they're getting, they're both getting up there. They're only two years, two years apart. And Jasmine is 10. And then Riley, he's eight. Mm-hmm. Although people still think they're puppies, which is great. They don't look old, but just, okay. Y'all go into the bathroom a lot more like, all right, just can you yeah. warn me? Can you give me some signs so I can prepare? <laughs>
1: they're getting up there in dog years. Yeah. You
0: know? Yeah. And I keep forgetting that they're older than me. And I'm like, Okay. But you still should respect me as your elder. Like I get it. You're technically older than me, but you're not. Oh man. They're great. So you said that you're in Louisville right now, but is that where you're originally from?
1: No, I'm from West Virginia. Originally I was born and raised there. And then I went to college, met my husband and he joined the army. And then we just moved all around. Like we were chatting about, I lived in Louisiana for a while. Missouri, South Carolina, Germany, super awesome, and ended up here in Kentucky. And I think that's where we're going to be for a while.
0: That's awesome. So it's yeah. nice to have some roots. Yeah, I i keep telling my partner who's also Army, but his contract ended. So I was like, I guess we missed the travel way. Like that was, <laughs> Germany was on his list for sure. And at first I was resistant to it. And I'm like, I got a life here. I got things to do. And now I'm like, can we go somewhere? I'm ready to leave Texas. I think I'm ready to to venture out and, and do other things. And now he's settled here because he's from Georgia originally, and he's lived all over the place. And so I'm like, okay, I didn't seize those opportunities uh, to not be <laughs> here. So I'm ready to seize it. How are we going to make this work? And so you might just have to go ahead of me and, and I'll meet you.
1: <laughs> I'm like, yeah,
0: I'm with it. that's really cool uh, that you've got to experience other places, but I'm glad that you guys are, are found your home base. So that feels good. that's great. So I would love to know the journey to getting into nutrition and then getting into specializing with helping uh, those with prediabetes or type 2 diabetes like myself, because it's such a unique and complex disease to, to deal with. And I have uh, loved seeing all of your content. I was so excited when I stumbled upon you because you just have so many great tips. And I love that you come from a place of doing what's best for your body and, and especially the myth busting on different diets, because there's just so much with diet culture. That's a whole nother episode. You post a lot of great things and you help a lot of women who bring down their A1C and still feel like they can enjoy food and do things. So how did you start on that path?
1: I took a a pretty non-traditional route into the field of dietetics. I first went into the field of biology. I was working in biomedical research, but all of the research studies I was working on had a strong nutrition component. And I've always been a foodie. I've always loved food. And I really started to develop an interest in the nutrition component. And I thought, I want to be doing the things that the dietitians are doing. I want to be making meal plans for people. And I want to be talking about access to food. And I want to be talking about how food can impact certain chronic diseases like diabetes, heart disease. So at the ripe age of, 29, almost 30, I went back to school <laughs> to become a dietitian, And it really, it's a field that most dietitians will tell you it's a passion field. And so for me, it was certainly, it was true. It was passion, but it was also personal because a few years before that I was diagnosed with prediabetes mm. and insulin resistance and PCOS. And I... As someone with just a, I had a pretty strong interest in nutrition. I didn't have a formal education. I was very confused and overwhelmed and was like, is this the best support that I'm getting? I just felt lost. And like a lot of my clients now tell me that they feel like you go to Google, you don't know what to do. So then... Flash forward to a few years later, I'm in school and it all just, it was different for me. It wasn't like I'm, I'm learning this to pass an exam. It's like, I'm really interested in this. I really want to learn about this and how to help people. I'm, I'm interested because this happened to me. So it was like personal too. And I worked a little bit in the field of research for a little bit longer. I worked in corporate wellness, long-term care, but I pretty much always knew that I wanted to open my own practice and work with people that had diabetes and prediabetes just because that's just such a personal thing to me. I wanted to be able to have the freedom to help people in the way that I knew that they needed help. And unfortunately our healthcare system is set up to see a dietitian or a doctor once every three, six months, a year right. for 20 minutes. You can't really help someone in that time. Not
0: really, not with their diet, not like they need. Yeah. So that's kind of what led me here. <laughs> That's awesome. It's it's always amazing to me as I meet more people in the community where it is a such a, a deep personal thing simply because you're going through it. I didn't start this because I was like, oh, I'm just interested in understanding what diabetes is. I I was diagnosed, and then I was like, similar story. What do I do? Where do I get help? Like, how do I do things? I got a packet and told to to read it and take the drugs. <laughs> and that's about it. And so it it is something that you, I, I, if you would ask me five years ago, hey, would you be running a podcast and a company that's around around di- diabetes? And I'd be like, mm, that's not what I'm going to be doing with my life. So it's crazy. Such a personal interaction can lead to inspiration to do more because you realize there's such a lack, especially with the systems that are put in place that you would think would help us. I think that's always uh, a great thing to hear is there's such a deeper yearning to help than just, I'm just doing this just because. So that's really cool. Yeah. I'm curious to know, you know, because there's so much in our healthcare system and even in what they're teaching with medical professionals that seem outdated. So how did you take what you learned in school and, and kind of experience of the, I kind of like to think of cookie cutter, follow these rules type of thing and adjust it to still lean on that knowledge, but actually provide something that makes sense, honestly.
1: Yeah, yeah. And that's the hard part is what does the research show? And with nutrition research, it's so hard. It's so difficult. You can find a research study that pretty much supports any kind of nutrition philosophy that you have. And and diabetes management is really no different. But in school, dietitians are, are typically taught the carb counting method, carb exchanges, things like that, which it works if you can find someone that that can understand how to do it and continue doing it for the rest of their life, which are probably less than 10% of the population of people that have pre or type two diabetes. And so I I really realized that whenever I was working in long-term care, like nursing homes, and you have have some younger people in there, but most people there in their seventies, eighties on up. And if you start to explain to them how to read a label and how to count carbs and what a carb choice is, their eyes glaze over and they'll, sometimes they'll just be very, I love the people in that population because they're just very blunt and Mm -hmm. they will tell you, listen, I don't care. I don't have any interest in doing that. I'm not going to change the way that I eat. I have so many other things going on. I don't know how much time I have left. I'm not going to spend it counting grams of carbs every day. At that point, what can you do? They're not ready to change. And so that kind of was the first real life experience where I was like, wait a minute, What I learned in school isn't really, I thought it was just a matter of, Hey, I'm here. I'm ready to help you. And it's, oh, you have to meet them where they're at and understand that I'm not, even if they're ready to change it, it's not a one size fits all approach. Like even what you and I were saying, my method is a very anti-diet, all foods fit kind of approach, but it's not for everybody. Other people really like a regimented way of eating. For example, some people like intermittent fasting and keto. And so that was my first experience working in long-term care where I realized, There has to be a different way of doing this. And at that point, I had been managing my own blood sugars. I had my prediabetes intermission for seven, six, seven years, maybe. And so I just started thinking, what I'm doing is working. Maybe I can teach this to other people. And it planted the seed. And here I am a few years later, teaching it to other people now.
0: That's really cool. How was that process of retracing your steps and breaking down how you can apply whatever it is that you want to eat and still be able to manage because my favorite is when I see things I think you did a a reel recently where it was like eating ice cream and still a little I was like man that's that hit real close to home because (laughs) me and marble slab got a relationship and we got to work on it because it's just why is it so good And, and then I remember seeing a graphic that you did where it was like hey you can have pizza maybe have a salad next to it. And I was like, I was already doing that, but I thought I needed to cut the pizza because everyone screams all the carbs and the cheese, all the naysayers and stuff like that. And I've seen similar instances of, okay, you need something with fiber, maybe a green, some fat and some protein along with whatever carb that you're doing in that combination usually helps to keep things level. So how did you discover that with yourself? Was it just, okay, I'm going to eat something, test and see where it goes and just keep mixing, and matching things? What was that process? It was one of those things where, again, as a
1: foodie and as someone who really grew up with a very strong love of sweets and just food is life, I, I just knew I tried the, all the diets. I tried low carb. Back then it was like forks over knives, mm-hmm. paleo was a thing. And I knew it wasn't going to work. So I was going, okay, how can I make this work without totally eliminating foods. I just knew that I couldn't. Um, and I was in my mid twenties too. So I was thinking, can I really do this for, for 50 or 60 more years? No, I can't. I was living in Baton Rouge. I want to eat beignets. I, I want to eat crawfish etouffee and like all the delicious foods while I live there. And so it was like, I had my little meter and I'm sitting there going, okay, well fiber helps balance blood sugar, protein helps balance blood sugar. And and I'll never forget, I was very into the plant-based nutrition, and I still am, but I was pretty much like a vegetarian, and I wasn't ever really a big fan of a lot of the traditional sources of protein that we might think of, like beans, lentils, tofu at the time. So I remember... my lunch that I took um, every day to work was typically I would do I would make my own little quesadilla with a whole wheat wrap and I would put lots of cheese in there and then I would put just whatever greens I had and I'm like this is healthy this is plant-based and then I might take some fruit I might take something like some goldfish or veggie straws or something and I remember after being diagnosed going okay but really where is the protein in this and even though it's a whole wheat wrap, it's, it still only has three, four grams of fiber. And so I'm going, okay, the cheese has a little bit of protein. The cheese has a little bit of fat, but how much? And I'm not really using that much. And so it was one of those things where I really had to sit down and look for opportunities of what can I add to this? And oh, I take my blood sugar and it's this, it's X. And then I add in some tofu, some curried tofu, or always playing around because it has to taste good, some Greek yogurt and sour cream or whatever it was. And, and now my blood sugar's lower that's cool. It was just one of those kind of trial and error things where I knew I wasn't going to count carbs or measure out things because that just wasn't going to work. So it was just eyeballing it, adding in protein and fat and trying really not to focus on eliminating foods because that would drive me insane. If I tried to not eat like cookies, for example... It's all I thought about. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I knew that wasn't going to work. That's just, that's kind of, it was very trial and error. Very just let's experiment with this, take my
0: blood sugar and see how it goes. Yeah. It's crazy (laughs) how um, experimenting creates opportunity to learn, especially when I got my CGM because it was a lot easier uh, to test things. And so I was like shocked a couple of times where I'm like, I ate this thing. I think it was like Chinese food at one point. And I always ensure that, especially uh, growing up with Thai culture, we always had fresh veggies with whatever Mm -hmm. we ate. Like it was just normal to have a bunch of slices of cucumber and lettuce and and tomatoes, even though it wasn't presented like a salad, like that's just what you did. And so I would always make sure that I ordered like extra veggies. I'd probably adjust the oil if if they let me (laughs) and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. And I would be shocked Because I would eat it and I stopped eating the whole to-go box. That was another thing. It's just the portions um, that they give you. And I I was like, oh, I'm actually doing all right. Because I expect a slight spike after Mm -hmm. eating. That's normal. It makes sense. And I started paying attention to, okay, how long am I staying up there? Am I coming back down? Am I coming back down and staying in an even place? And when I started paying attention to that, I was like, oh, I can enjoy grits if I really want to. I freaking love grits. Are you kidding? I don't put sugar in it, though. That is blasphemy. I don't get it. I know there's a whole cult following of people who like to put sugar in their grits, more power to you, but it's just not natural for me. (laughs) I don't get it. I'm with you. You know, (laughs) but even thinking about that, especially my dad's from Louisiana. So that culture of shrimp and grits and things like that's normal. and. You don't want to pass up on that. And I did for years. I was like, okay, I won't keep grits in the house. I won't keep uh, cream of wheat. I won't keep oatmeal. I won't keep any of that in the house because I know that from what they said, it's chopped full of carbs. And most of the time you're just sitting and eating solely that. And then- I started doing what my mom used to do. She used to put egg in it to make it like really creamy and then cheese and then uh, bacon bits. I was like, wait a minute. This is an opportunity to take what I've been learning and adjust it. Okay, I can have the grits, maybe not two packets like I used to do. Maybe have one and then add uh, some eggs on the side and add this or or whatever. Um, And it was Complete (laughs) opposite of what I was running for myself from. It was just like, I'm scared to do this because everybody told, oh God, everybody's a liar. Like you just have this whole (laughs) mind blown moment of what? And I did paleo as well. And the only thing that paleo really gave me, not to say that it was bad, it wasn't uh, difficult. It was probably the only thing that I did for a long period of time and didn't feel crappy about was removing the process stuff. Because I did recognize that the quality of what I was investing in did matter and eating more whole foods did matter, but it didn't mean that I couldn't enjoy some pasta every now and then. It was just, let's be more mindful of the quality of what you're buying because they make the stuff cheaper because it's easier to make and it's chop full of crap. But if I spend the extra $2, I can get something and still have what I want. So it's always been fascinating to see that combination. And I'm glad that people like yourself are speaking up more and saying, hey, you don't have to lose the Oreos if you don't want to. Don't eat the whole, but like you can have some damn Oreos. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. You're so right. I think It's, for me, growing up in West Virginia, I mean, our cultural foods, it's beans, cornbread, pepperoni rolls. Those were important to me. And now that I've worked with hundreds of women from all over the country, all over the world, it's really, food is so much more, food is health, but it is our culture and it's, not so easy. And it's really not even ethically right to tell someone that they can't eat their their cultural foods, yeah. whether it's grits or I have a lot of Indian clients and I'm not going to sit there and tell them they can't eat naan or they can't eat rice or they can't eat some of their delicious curries. It, it's just, it's not right. And it's not ever going to work for them. And it's not going to honor what's really important for them in life. Yeah. And unfortunately, again, our healthcare system, we can't really blame doctors or dietitians. It's, it's just the system, right? Yeah. It's It's easier for them, doctors, dieticians, to tell us in our little 20-minute appointment, don't eat grits, don't eat rice, because they don't have the time to sit down and explain what you just said. Well, actually, you can, but just pair it with the protein and fat, because then people are going, well, it's a protein and fat, you know? Mm -hmm. Okay, well, then now we're having like a 30-minute conversation, and they just don't have that time. So it's easier if they just tell us to totally eliminate those foods. But again, with, with typical American healthcare, it's really it's not doing anyone any favors that we don't take into account the mental health component, Mm -hmm. the cultural component, the financial component. It's just not that easy. And it's, it's not even necessary really. So it's just so nuanced. I think a lot of people don't understand that until they get diagnosed, right? Right. I didn't. And then you're going, wait a minute, this is so much deeper than I thought it was. And so it made me happy to hear that you found a way to eat your grits. My stepmom is from South Carolina. So she, I grew up eating grits every day for breakfast and We put butter and cheese on them. Yes. I I can't imagine putting sugar in them, but cream of wheat. Yeah. But it's one of those things where, yeah, I'm not going to sit there and tell her you can't have grits if that's what she grew up eating for 40 years. It's just health or not, there's a way you can make it work. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's what I focus on for me. That's what I focus on on my Instagram and for my clients. What can we add? How can we make this work? Because having a diet full of restriction and and foods that you can't eat or that are bad is not going to help anybody.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and it also creates this weird social dynamic because I remember my first year or so. Now, I was in my 20s and when you and your friends are in your 20s, you say really rude shit to each other on a regular basis and you don't bat an eyelash. I didn't realize how much I had absorbed. You should be eating that. <laughs> you should you sure you should be ordering that and it makes you uh subconsciously uh, I don't feel like going out. Uh no, I'll pass. Uh, I should probably save the money because you're, you you can't really go prepared. Now, I got into the habit of checking the menu of wherever we went so then I could make my combination of foods so I didn't feel put on the spot. But even if I travel to another another state, another city and I want to enjoy the food that's known to that, I want to enjoy it. I don't want to have to think about, okay, we're going to this place and all they serve is all the carby things. I don't I can't even put a, a name to the food anymore because I just see, is it a carb, is it not? It just creates a really weird dynamic between people because now you have others who are weighing in and adding pressure to that. I think you made an excellent point about like cultural foods and, and things that we, a nostalgia food. So yes, I do recognize like there's a, an emotional memory attached to me like sitting on the couch and binge eating ice cream and that's something deeper to work on and that's where the mental health aspect comes in and it's, I'm glad that mental health is coming up, but it's just, it's, you don't want to complain, but at the same time, it's like, it's not fast enough because a lot of people are already traumatized and we're having to undo all of this thinking and all this mindset because we've been shamed in the doctor's office and then everywhere else that we've gone to. I think you're absolutely right. We have to find a way to make it work and there are ways. And I think you're proof of that for sure.
1: Yeah, you're so right. And what you touched on is, is a whole different it's a deeper level too about the shame, the stigma, the social pressure. For some reason, in our and it's not just in America, it's a lot of other cultures too. Mm-hmm. People think it's okay to comment on other people's food or their mm-hmm. food choices. And I used to do it too. I was very deeply into that kind of culture. And I would say things about myself or I'm being good or I shouldn't be eating this. And or no wonder I got pre-diabetes. Look at me eating all this ice cream. And I just didn't realize at the time how deeply rooted it was and how damaging it was to me, yeah. to the people that I was around. And, and it's like one of those things where once you see it, you can't unsee it and yeah. you see it everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> and the thing that it's, it's so innocent, it's, it can be our friends and family and, and they mean, but they just don't understand the pressure that it puts on people who feel like you're already being judged for everything that you eat. And, and if you really look at the research, it's, let's just say, I remember I was at an office party. Years ago, and it was Christmas time, and it was all the good Christmas stuff. And I was like, "I'm going to be good." And I passed up on all the sweets, and I really tried to just get like the healthy stuff. I'm doing air quotes. And I remember I just couldn't stop thinking about the sweets. And one of them was those. Everyone has a different name for them. I call
0: them peanut butter blossoms. The peanut butter cookies with the Hershey kiss. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you call them? I don't. No, I don't think I've ever called them anything. I just ate them.
1: My husband's from Texas and he calls them black eyed Susans. Oh. And I've also heard them called peanut butter blossoms, but you know what I'm talking about. And, and I had to go home and I couldn't stop thinking about them. I made a whole batch. I ate way more than I wanted to. And it was because I felt that pressure to not eat them and be good. I didn't satisfy that craving and it built up. And then it ended up if I just would have had one at work, maybe I could have had one and been happy. But instead, I went home and ate however many, six, seven, I don't know. And, right. and I felt sick. And again, it was like those moments in time. And the research shows that's actually quite common, too. It's just another reason why we shouldn't deny ourselves the foods that we really love and honor and, and crave, really.
0: yeah.
1: Um, it's, it's typically not going to help us. It's going to lead to a really intense craving. And I
0: feel like it also, when you allow yourself that that grace to have something that you like, Um, Because you're so conscious of what you're trying to manage, I feel like I I slow down a lot more. It it used to be I couldn't go to a a pack of cookies and not eat at least a whole row. And now I can just grab three or four and I'm like, okay, I'm good. Because I didn't deny myself it, but I'm like, okay, if I'm going to have it, okay, what is the actual like serving size? I didn't know Oreos. It was like four. I was like, oh, I still think it's rude for it to not be 10. That's just me (laughs) being difficult. But at least it's okay. I thought it was, you know, going to be like one and just giving myself the space of, you know what, for five minutes, I'm just not even going to think about what all this is doing. And it's only one decision in that moment. It's not like I don't have the rest of the day to eat in a balanced way. And especially for do those office potlucks and stuff, geez, like I'm just going to make it work. And you can still combine things in a way that's helpful and making sure you stay hydrated and all those types of things. So it was just changing how I thought about it and how I viewed it. And I even had to stop getting people involved. Like, I used to ask my partner, like, hey, if you see me go crazy, like, just cut me off. But then I would get snippy at him for telling me, like, hey, you want me to slow down? I'm like, don't tell me what to do. It's just like, uh, how backwards is that? He's, I asked him for help. He's helping. And now I'm mad that he's regulating what I'm eating. And so it's just like, I really just need to change how I think about it. I do have a question. And one of my past guests touched on it. You've done the schooling and the training and you work with people. Fruit, sugar versus regular sugar because one of the biggest things that comes up that irks me the most is you shouldn't be eating all that fruit. And as someone with a South Asian, you know, culture, mango is life and I refuse to be told that I can't have mango. <laughs> like, no. So like what's the deal with fruit sugar?
1: keep your mango. I was cutting up one for my son last night for his lunch today. And I was like, (laughs) this is the best mango I've ever had in my life. I had told him that it was just so good. But yeah, yeah. So of course, like you said, everybody has their different philosophies and and mine. I don't really like to get caught up in in what I call like micronutrient nutrition, like Mm -hmm. different forms of sugar. Because if we break it down, if we talk about fruit sugar, right? So there's fruit sugar. There's other like non-fruit sugar. It's all a carb, right? And if we look at carbs as a macronutrient, we have carbs. And then under that, we have different types of carbs. We have sugar, we have fiber. And then within that, we have different types of fiber. We have insoluble fiber, soluble fiber. And then within the sugar, we have tons of different forms of sugars. We have fructose and sucrose and glucose and fruits most commonly have fruit tells fruit. And my philosophy is, this is proven by research, but whenever you eat it, it breaks down the same. Your body doesn't know the difference between sugar from a piece of mango, sugar from a piece of white bread, or sugar from ice cream. It's some people can get really caught up in the details of you eat fructose a lot and then it's really hard on your liver and then your liver does this and that. And it's, yeah, but these are very extreme situations where if this is the only thing that you're eating and you already have liver disease and you really have to snowball things. And I like to snowball, don't get me wrong. (laughs) But whenever it comes to nutrition, we, we really don't need to. And the benefits, you know, Outweigh any kind of, of cons in this situation. Like we were talking about earlier, fiber helps balance blood sugar. What's the best natural source of fiber? Fruit fiber helps us uh, clear out our arteries, so that we can have a lower risk of hypertension and high cholesterol. Fiber is important to us for our culture, just because. Again, I, I chat with people all over the world, and, and they'll be like, Dion, like you talk about berries all the time, but I live in India, and I can't get a hold of a raspberry, but I can get a hold of. A mango or whatever. And I'm like, that's okay. Then have your mango. Like you can find fiber somewhere else, but the vitamins and minerals that we get, the fiber, it's always going to be worth it. So I don't get too caught up in saying that fruit is bad. I think fruit is great for you, especially if you like it. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. I think so. it's like candy for me now. And, and I never thought I would get to the point where, you know, I, I, and I, and it's funny because my favorite type of candy is fruity candy. So the Starbursts, the Skittles, the Sour Patches. And every now and then I still have them. I actually haven't had Starburst and Skittles in a very long time. And my partner has a pack sitting on his desk. And every time I go to his house, I look at it and I just, I move on. Now Sour Patches, every now and then I do have that. Or the Trolley, Trolley Worms. I love gummy worms. Oh but, yeah. But I'm not like itching for it, like an addict almost. It's, I have a bag of apples in the fridge and that is more enticing to me than, than the candy is. And when I stopped worrying about, okay, is eating fruit going to spike me? Maybe a little bit. I don't know. I've seen some moments, but now I have my apple. Like last night I had an apple with peanut butter. I'm like, that helps. And, and it didn't do anything crazy to me. And I went to sleep and my CGM didn't go off at all, all these things. And I'm like, yeah. I love watermelon and I love mango and I love tropical fruit. And don't get me started on pineapple, but like people were always going crazy about fruit and other forms of sugar. I'm like, raw, whole food's there's not a whole lot that it can do that can be bad for you right now. Obviously, if I sit there and all day, all I do is eat mango. Sure, right. I think I can level with right. you there, but I'm not. It's one thing to have some mango during the day and then a, a host of other things versus I'm just literally going to sit here and spoon feed myself processed white sugar. Exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? And keyword yeah. process. Like I'm, I'm taking it straight from how it is now. Like you said, I don't get technical about the way that they're growing our food now is all this. Listen, I I get there's all kinds of stuff going on. That's just where I make the decisions at the grocery store and and call it a day. But it's still better than doing a Scrooge McDuck deep dive into a pool full of sugar. So it's always crazy when I see that because I love bananas, too. And that's another one where they're like, no, don't do that. I'm like listen, I'm going to have my oatmeal with my chopped bananas and a little dust of cinnamon and some a peanut butter and call it a day. And you're not going to judge me for it because this is damn good oatmeal. It's so you're crazy. so
1: right, Taylor. Like it's just, and I don't think people realize it's really a privilege to be able to be so selective yeah. for the people that choose to do that with their foods, because what's the alternative? Bananas are are for some people, the most affordable fruit that they can get Mm -hmm. for themselves, for their family, for their kids. And so it's to tell someone who's already on a low fixed income, they can't eat bananas. Well, what are they supposed to do? Buy organic raspberries, which are like one of the most expensive fruits, right? So it's like, again, it's not a one size fits all approach. Mm -hmm. And I'm very like you, like at the grocery store, some things I'm going to buy organic, some things I'm not, but that's a privilege for me because I have access to that and I can put that in my budget and i think whenever we start to elevate certain foods as as very pious and great and then we villainize other foods bananas fruit like you said oatmeal is a big one it re- people don't understand the effect on our um, the psychology that goes into that whenever we say certain foods are good or bad and how that makes us like whenever you were describing to me, yeah, I can pass on the Skittles. I'll have one if I really want one, but it's been however long. It's because you took the Skittles off of the pedestal is what it sounds like to me. And, and the same with the fruit. They're, they're no longer bad or good or whatever. It's just, I'm going to eat what feels good and what tastes good. And for mm-hmm. me, that's an apple. Sometimes it's the, gu- the gummy worms or whatever. And it's very life-changing whenever, especially people that have pre and type two diabetes, type one diabetes, if you can allow yourself to have those foods with removing the things that we've been taught all of our life, the labeling and the, the health halos and all that, it opens up the world of being able to eat foods in a portion that feels good and in a way that feels good.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It definitely forced me to pay attention more to my body and the cues because for a while I feel like I broke my full sensor and I really also slowing down, just literally slowing down when I eat. It sounds crazy, but I sometimes will literally take a bite and then I'll put my actual utensil down so I can focus. And then it gives me a second to like cue in. Okay. Am I good? Am I not? And if I go a little overboard, because every now and then I do, I feel it though. I'm like, all right, now you pushing past your limit. It's so good. I just want two more bites. And so, but I recognize that and I know how to you know, course correct that later on. And so that's why it feels so freeing to be able to know I eat stuff. Now there's certain things I just keep out of the house because I know, yeah, I, I don't really react to that. I'll give myself a moment, but then you're good for a couple of weeks and we'll leave it out. But even still just adjusting like these things are off limits and this is such a, a holy grail of food over here and things like that. Breaking all that down, it just made it easier. And now I'm actually shocked when I look at my fridge, I was like, I have more whole foods in my fridge, which forces me to cook, which now I'm getting lazy in that. So I'm, I'm looking for more like convenient stuff lately, <laughs> but even still just being able to recognize like it used to be more stuff in the freezer and more stuff in the the pantry, the, the dry good stuff. And I'm like, I'm really shocked at how much I eat more fresh stuff. Um, and that was just from saying, like, nothing's off the table. Just be mindful of your portions. And when you fool, stop. Like, things like that. So it's so interesting how freeing that is when that stops. Now, I'm, I'm going to ask this because I see that you touch on this topic a lot. And that's keto. I tried keto. It, it didn't really do it for me. And the... Excess amount of fat actually caused my blood sugar personally to rise. I've heard that from others as well. Um, but at the same time, on the opposite side of the spectrum, there's so many people, especially in the diabetic community who were like, keto is life. And I even did intermittent fasting for a while. And I've actually just gotten to a place where I don't even, I don't really follow the constructs of like breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I do try to have something on my stomach in the mornings, even if it's like drinkable, because I get my body's been in a stasis for a while. But now I eat when I'm hungry. And so if that means that I'm, I've been up until 10 o'clock at night, but I, I feel hungry, I eat. And then I, I do my thing. And even just that has been so relieving because sometimes I don't need to eat until 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I've had something on my stomach in the morning and I'm good, but I don't, I'm not purposely preventing myself from eating. And I think that was the one thing about intermittent fasting that was so funny because it was just like, it's just like taking away foods. Like I can't eat until this window And as soon as it hits 3 o'clock, I am going to eat everything in the break room. Because when I tested it, I was still working in an office. I'm like, everything in the break room. We get all the good snacks. And it just created this binge thing for me. And I was like, yeah, this ain't it. I can't do it. Because then I have to bring a bunch of stuff from home. And then... Now I don't have anything at home because I brought it all to work and I ate it. So it just created this vicious cycle for me personally. So I'd love to know like what your thoughts are with keto and intermittent fasting, because I see that you touch on a lot of those things a lot. Hey, y'all. So really quick, I just had to pause to talk to you about a service that I've actually been using for a couple of months now, and that service is 9am Health. And 9am Health is a virtual diabetes clinic that has pretty much everything that you need, which makes it so easy to manage without having to leave my house. I'm talking A1C labs done from home. I'm talking medication shipped directly to your house. I'm talking having your own diabetes care specialist who's educated in nutrition and diabetes care, who helps you with all of the little things that go in between management, things like helping with food or lifestyle changes or changing certain habits. They will support you in all of that. Or if you just need somebody to talk to you because it's one of those burnout weeks, right? So 9am health has been super great and it's made my life a lot easier especially because it's so cheap. I don't even have to use insurance. It is so much cheaper than what I was paying with insurance. So I'm really grateful for 9AM Health and everything that they're providing in order to make someone like myself have an easier time with diabetes care management because we all know it can be really challenging, but to know that I can text, call, or send them a message on the online app in order to get support, whether that's, hey, I don't know how my medication is going, or hey, I really need to talk to somebody because it's just, I just don't want a diabetes today, or being able to work with my diabetes care specialist on some of the mental blocks that I might have. It makes such a different experience because I'm being met where I'm at. And I don't know about you, but trying to take off time from work to go to the doctor, having to sit in the waiting room for 30 minutes only to meet with your doctor for five. It's just such an archaic experience, and I really feel that 9am Health changes all of that. So would love for you to try it out. Visit 9am.health to learn more or click the link in the show notes and tell them I sent you.
1: Yeah, yeah. And what happened to you, Taylor, is so normal. It's what happens to most people. Mm -hmm. Whenever we restrict ourselves to the confines of whether it's an eating window like intermittent fasting or only certain food groups, like with keto, it's very natural to then binge on the foods that were banned at a certain point. That's what happens to like upwards of 90% of people. And I just wanna say that out loud because some people don't know that. And Mm -hmm. to me, it's like, I've seen it so many times, it's very normal, but I didn't know that 10 years ago. I thought I, I was just doing it because I was like not disciplined enough or something. But let's start with keto. So again, like you said, some people really like it. Diabetes management isn't a one size fits all. I'm not a fan of it and I don't teach it to my clients for a lot of reasons. First, because it's just, it's not necessary and it's very hard to sustain. Even the people who who typically will say they they love keto or it works for them, works. It's only in a cycle, right? They have to cycle on and off. If someone really stays in, in ketosis where their body is using protein and fat um, for energy instead of carbs, it's actually very dangerous. And people with diabetes, you can get diabetic ketoacidosis, which Doesn't typically happen from going on the keto diet. It it happens because they don't have enough insulin Mm -hmm. to utilize their glucose, and and they're fueling on ketones. But it's dangerous. It can be life-threatening. And so these people that are doing keto, they have to cycle off of it. Otherwise, they would go into life-threatening ketoacidosis. And then I go, well, is it really working? Then is it really working if you're only doing it for a week or a month or whatever their cycle is? And it's very hard to stick to. And they miss out on the office potlucks and the Christmas cookies and the kids birthday cupcakes and ice cream in the summer. Is it really working if you miss out on that and then whenever you're cycling off of it, you feel extremely guilty, you have a lot of shame? That's really not working that well. But it's hard because the gray area of nutrition is our happy spot. Like you were saying, like mm-hmm. eating an apple whenever you feel like it or eating the gummy worms or whatever whenever you feel like it, eating mango. People really like those hard and fast rules, right? Like yeah. you can't eat this or you have to eat that and it's the same with intermittent fasting they have a really hard time living in the gray area in between which is really the happy spot they like these rules and i that's why i teach people you can eat these foods you don't have to go keto that's more sustainable the way that we eat to manage our blood sugars is the way we have to keep eating to manage our blood sugars. And I'm just going, are you really going to do keto whenever you're 60? So that's the biggest reason, but there's a ton of other reasons too. Again, the typical keto diet is low in fiber. We need fiber to balance our blood sugars, move our bowels. We need it for our heart health. A lot of people that have high blood sugars also have high cholesterol Mm -hmm. and the keto diet, unless you really do it very um, differently and carefully than most people do, you're probably going to increase your cholesterol if you have any kind of family history or any kind of personal history with it. So just not a fan of it all around. Uh, It's not practical for most people with intermittent fasting, same thing pretty much not sustainable for most people, it sets them up um, to have some form of disordered eating, if not an eating disorder, because that's what happens whenever we push through our hunger cues and we only allow ourselves to eat certain hours of the day, and, and and it doesn't even and some people will say they'll argue with me here but what's to stop someone from doing intermittent fasting and then in their eating window they just eat carbs all day that's not going to be good for someone with with diabetes and mm-hmm. and you'll have people say i do intermittent fasting and even during my eating windows i'll eat very balanced but it typically leads to a binge and it typically the way that we're set up it has nothing to do with willpower whenever we go long periods of time without carbs specifically our brain recognizes that our liver recognizes that and it sets you up to where your liver is then going to dump glucose for you. And Mm -hmm. it's going to elevate your blood sugar, even in the absence of carbs or food, your brain is going to send a, a hormonal response that makes you crave carbs more intensely. And so whenever you do finally eat, you're really set up to overeat and especially overeat on carbs, which for those of us with diabetes, pre-diabetes, that's not good for our blood sugar, Mm -hmm. no matter how long we went earlier in the day. And it just sets you up on, you know, what we call the binge or strict cycle. I've been there before most people have been there. So not a fan of intermittent fasting for for anybody, but especially for people. And I mean, for people with diabetes, you can get low blood sugar, you can pass out. That's very dangerous. So, um, not a fan. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. It's it's so interesting and I never even thought about that whenever uh, I was doing cuz this was before I had a CGM. So using a manual meter, one of the biggest struggles that I, I see people talking about is I don't have enough strips to really test regularly to really know what's going on and that's why I do hope that CGMs become a bit more accessible to anybody with diabetes and not just type one, we're starting to see it, you know, bend a bit and we're seeing more options for that. Now it's just the cost part, but it was so relieving for me to be able to check. Like I literally felt a grocery store scanner and I was just the product where I would literally go find stuff to eat, even junk food. Like I think I had two weeks where I'm like, I'm just going to buy all the things and see what happens. And it was fun because I was like, all right, I'm going to eat these hot Cheetos. Let's see what happens. And then I would scan myself. I'm like hmm, Interesting. Like just this, this whole science experiment that I did on myself, um, But not a lot of people have that access to be able to test that. You have to save your strips sometimes because they're so expensive. And insurance thinks that if you're testing more than twice a day, it's excessive, which I don't get. But things like that. And so I never thought about how intermittent fasting could have been dangerous for me. Because I'm thinking I'm always dealing with high blood sugar. If it lowers, great. But even still, like the false lows... I went through that for a period of, okay, I'm, I'm high on this 180 and then I dropped to 130 and I'm feeling shaky and I'm trying to treat it because this is what I'm feeling. And then I check, I'm like, wait, so should I just push through that or, or should I actually treat it like like a low that it feels like, even though I'm not at a dangerous level? And never occurred to me to think about going that period of time without providing steady fuel, basically. It's dangerous. It's like when you're pushing it on your car, the light's on. You see the lights on and I know we've practiced stretching it but th- it only takes one time to have to push your car down the street <laughs> and to realize what, when the tank gets about a quarter way, at the very least, I need to go fill it up. <laughs> so, <laughs> Thankfully I've never it's gotten so to that good. point, but.
1: <laughs> it's so true. And I tend to get really focused on high blood sugar too, because that's mostly what my clients are, are focused on as well. But a lot of them I've had several clients who actually only struggle with low or they do struggle with low. I, whenever I was a teenager, I don't know what's wrong with my body. I just think, I don't know my genetics or something. I passed out a few times and Mm -hmm. looking back now, a hundred percent, it was low blood sugar, but I even went to the ER and everything. And they just said, I was like dehydrated or something. And because again, don't even get me started. It's a whole different conversation, but because of the stereotypes (laughs) that go along with blood sugar control, I was in a smaller body. I was physically active. I was like 16 Nobody even tested my blood sugar. But once you get a low or even what feels like a low, like a false low, it is terrifying. You you can't explain it unless you've experienced it. Yeah. And and so again, it's like whether it's a real low, a false low. With intermittent fasting and even with keto, you can feel that way because you're still not getting the carbs. It's not a good way to feel and your liver doesn't like that either. If you starve your liver out of carbs all day, it's not going to do you any favors while you're sleeping. It's really not going to help your fasting blood sugar in the morning. And people don't realize that going long periods of time like that, whether through keto or, or intermittent fasting, how what you don't eat in the morning can then impact your blood sugars the next day. So it all connects and plays together. Um not it's, a fan of keto or intermittent fasting. <laughs> oh,
0: I, I love it. It's so controversial because everybody has a thought. And, and like you said, you can find so much data on what can back up the other. I watched the, oh, what was the Netflix documentary? I can't remember what it was called. And it was going along the lines of like low carb keto. And and you're seeing that it's helping these kids and things like that. I'm like, I don't want to deny that experience either. But at the same time, they went and tossed out all the processed stuff in your house. Might Might have been the key, like. You, you have to just You of things
1: do that for years. <laughs> I watched a documentary on Netflix too about intermittent fasting. And it was one of those, it was the one with like Zac Efron, I think, or whatever. I can't <laughs> remember. And, or maybe that was a different one. No, that was one on water anyway. And it was showing all these people they were doing, they were doing like days without eating. And it was showed this one woman, she had diabetes, it reversed her diabetes. And it was like a month long study. And I'm over here, like chomping at the bit. I'm like, Show me what she's doing now. Right. Show me. I guarantee you a year later, who can maintain like starving themselves for a week? That's just not realistic.
0: No, it's, it's crazy. And I definitely, I remember, especially the juice cleanse of fat, sick and nearly dead. Like I ate that shit up. I was like, oh my God, I'm going to get a juicer and I'm going to restart my system and I'm going to give my digestive system a break. And we going to do this, Joe. We're going to do it. And no shade to Joe. I loved it. And I, I think it it did something to create a movement of let's think about what we're eating. Let's think about the type of health in our system. And I think that's half of what all of these things are saying. It's let's strip away what the rules are. The core of it is there's something wrong with the system. And that's why these other (laughs) things keep popping up to try and and counteract that versus if we fix the system, then maybe we wouldn't even have to do all of these extremes. You can still eat however you want. I think that's number one rule is however feels right for you and is doing good for your body is what's necessary. I can't tell you what's going to be different in that. But these cult fads of different ways of eating it's just, it's all saying the same thing, it it really is, yeah. and I feel like we should sit back and, and recognize that the juicing uh, craze did the same thing, the keto, all of it is saying the same shit. The system is broken, and we need to just tear it down and start over. But I'm not yeah. running for president, so <laughs> I don't plan on doing that at all. So before we get out of here, I want to touch on your actual services because a, I just love the title of your program by the way, like Blood Sugar Boss, like. I just, I think you should get pins made, a little lapel pins. I I am one of those nerdy pin collector people. I just stumbled upon me at one point. I think that would be really great. But I would love to know what your program is about. Who is it for? And what can new applicants expect with working with you?
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm so with you on the merch line. By the way, I'm like Blood Sugar Boss. It just has a ring to it. Yeah, like, I have so many ideas. It's definitely on my bucket list. But but yeah. So with my coaching program, the Blood Sugar Boss program, who is it for? Is for anyone who wants to lower their blood sugar or A1C. Most of my clients have type two diabetes or pre diabetes, but I work with people who have gestational diabetes. Mm -hmm. I work with people who who don't even have prediabetes, but they want to keep it that way. Maybe they have a family history or something. I don't work with people with type one diabetes, just because I'm going to be honest, I'm not the world's biggest expert on that. I have some girlfriends that do that. I, I refer people to them, but it's what I do is it's a three month program. And I teach people how to eat in that gray area, that balanced way where, where no foods are off limits. And I teach them, you know, how to focus in on pairing carbs with protein, fat and fiber. But we also talk about portion sizes and how to reduce overeating. We talk about meal timing and what's that sweet spot of okay, I'm not I don't want to eat every hour, but I don't want to go 10 hours without eating. I teach them about all the other things that impact blood sugars like body movement. I don't even want to say exercise because even just walking or, you know, dancing or something. Sleep, stress. And so we work on how can we use all of all of the research that we know and fit it into their specific lifestyle? Because everybody's different. My clients that are teachers, their day looks better, looks different than my clients who are stay-at-home moms. You can find a way to make it work for you. Like you were saying, whether it's paleo or juice cleanse or keto, it's no one part of these things are bad, right? If you feel really good after you drink juice, we can make that work. If you feel really good after you eat like a higher protein keto style meal, style meal, we can make that work if you are not hungry for breakfast and you just maybe want something small or whatever, we can make that work. All of these different diets have components that feel good to people. It's just the regimented, you can't stray from it that really gets us in trouble. Yeah. And so in my program, that's what I do is I teach people how to eat in a way that feels good to them physically so we can prevent those highs and lows, but also mentally. So they're not sitting at a party miserable because they're afraid to eat a cupcake or whatever. And, and so at the end of our work together, we're getting their A1C down, we're getting their fasting blood sugar down typically, and, and we're building their confidence so that they can have a wide variety of foods that they can eat um, without fear. Because people with diabetes and pre-diabetes, we're afraid to eat a lot of food. So we have to really work on that
0: yeah yeah absolutely and and the kind of uh, synopsis that i'm getting is just behaviors and that's mm-hmm. been something huge for me the last couple of months is okay what behaviors can i adjust how can i like right now for me it is more movement i spend so much time sitting in and at 50 different screens and i'm like when's the last time i stood up when's the last time i moved around and stretched my legs and i recognize that's an area for me to improve in and that i'll see things even out more because i'm doing decent with my numbers but i have noticed a spike and i'm like i haven't really been moving like i i normally do. So there's an area to, to adjust that and not thinking of it as like I need to go slam myself in the gym to get there. It's just like, how about just go walk to the mailbox and back, even though it's hot to hell Do something. <laughs> and and it's been really interesting to see a lot of your client testimonials because It is such a one size or personal thing that it's hard to say, hey, you need to to do this way, just like this person is doing, because like you said, everyone's lifestyle is different. Everybody's environment is different, you know? And I think the conversation has to continue of behaviors. What behaviors can you adjust that fit your environment and that allows you to uh, enjoy things without feeling like you have this container around you all the time that says you can't. And that's been, you know, one of the really awesome things that I've noticed with what you're doing. And i got to definitely say thank you for that because more people need to to think that way. So before we get out of here, I wanted to ask one last advice question, if you will. And that's, what's a piece of advice that you would give to someone who is struggling with low? their A1C, and maybe they can't immediately, you know, join your program, like what would be one tip or something that you would give them?
1: Oh man, there's too many good ones to choose. It would depend on what they're struggling with. And I would probably uh, bounce back and forth between A, I'm a big fan of intuitive eating and it can offer a lot of really good behavioral changes that help people who are trying to lower their blood sugars, reduce binge eating carbs and have a better relationship with exercise maybe that, but even on a simpler level, just pick one thing to do. Don't be so overwhelmed with, I have to do all the things, more protein, more fat, more fiber, smaller portions, whatever. Pick one thing. Maybe it's your goal is to add fiber to your breakfast. Focus on that for one week. How can I add some avocado or berries or whole grains to my breakfast? How can I Maybe for them, they want to focus on their body movement, how can, I'm not going to go to the gym and join CrossFit, but how can I get in a 10 minute walk today, three days this week? Take it easy because that one small change can actually have a pretty big impact. Um, Just walking alone, just walking. I, I post about this all the time on my Instagram because it's, to me, it's mind boggling. Just getting 150 minutes of exercise in per week walking. So like 30 minute walks, five days a week. That can reduce your A1C and your blood sugar so significantly. It it reduces your risk of type 2 diabetes if you have prediabetes. It reduces your risk of gestational diabetes. And we're talking about walking for 15 minutes in the morning and 15 minutes at night without changing your diet at all.
0: It's pretty cool. That's dope. I'm going to definitely get my walk in today. I'm definitely. Dion, this has been such a great conversation. There's so much here to, I'm sure we could go on for days because there's just so much to unpack, but I'm really thankful for your time and your expertise in this. Where can people connect with you if they want to learn more about what you offer or see all of the great stuff that you post on a regular basis? How can people connect?
1: Awesome. Thank you, Taylor. Thank you for having me on and thank you for your platform and for bringing so many different approaches and styles of blood sugar management out there to the world. That's so awesome. But people can find- find me on Instagram. That's where I'm at most of the time at prediabetes.nutrition. And I have a website too. That's prediabetesnutrition.com. You can also find me on Facebook with the prediabetes community for lower blood sugar and A1C, but I'm not going to lie. I'm much more active on Instagram. So
0: (laughs) (laughs) I do feel like a... Facebook is like that uh, now. And it's funny because they own Instagram now, but like now Facebook is like the, the stepchild. Oh, yeah. There's also this over here. It's, it's for me. It's like it's a secondary from Instagram, like whatever's posted on Instagram. It, I'm sure it's on the Facebook somewhere. <laughs>
1: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, that is
0: awesome. I will ensure that all of this information is in the show notes. Um, Be sure to follow Dion and all of the cool tips that she has. I promise you they're worth it. They're probably one of my favorite things to see. And I'm like constantly resharing them because I'm like, yes, this. So thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you again. And we'll catch you guys next time. You already know every Tuesday and Thursday, you can find myself or myself with a friend. Bye. That was such a great conversation, and it's it's just crazy the different things and perspectives that come in and all having the same messaging and all just debunking this idea that we have to follow these strict rules with eating in order to manage our diabetes. But again, it's not to say that you don't have to. I know, like we said in the episode, some people just really like structure like that and like having hard set rules, and that's totally okay. And then there are those who want to keep it a little bit more loose and want to be able to have flexible movement and and fluidity and how they manage their diabetes. And that's okay too. So thank you Dion for all of the great advice and, you know, of course, please check with your medical team before you follow anything. Like, none of us here are, are doctors, or I know I've had a doctor on the show before, but he's not your doctor. So, always check in with your medical team if you decide to action on anything. But even if you need some help lowering your A1C, if you want to work with someone who is a dietitian, who's studied nutrition, and you want to be able to just enjoy your foods, whether that's from a cultural standpoint or just things that you like, but you want to get your numbers to a range that's healthy, hit up Dion. You can always check her website or head over to the link in her Instagram to put in an application for her Blood Sugar Boss program where she can connect with you, make sure it's a good fit and support you in lowering your A1C. So I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I think that it was great and super informative. Adjusting your eating style, like it's never too late to experiment. It's never too late to try things and to learn what works best for you. I think that's the the name of the game because our bodies are constantly changing. How I eat now might look different than when I'm 60. I don't know. We'll find out. Until then, if you would like to support the show. Obviously, you can head over to um, Apple Podcasts, you know, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon, and listen on your favorite platform. And if you have a few moments of your time, I would love it if you could head over to Apple Podcasts to leave a review or podchaser.com if you do not have an Apple account. Your feedback is extremely important to this show, especially if you are part of the diabetic community. I want to ensure that what you are receiving is helpful, that the perspectives that you are getting are you know diverse and inclusive and that you like listening to me. Let me know something. Give me some feedback. Let your girl know I'm doing the right thing. Yeah. <laughs> so if you wouldn't mind, that would really help me a lot. And it also ensures that the show is seen. It ensures that people who are looking for the community who maybe have you know, just been diagnosed and they're not sure where to start, your ratings help boost the show and it help its exposure. So- Please leave me a review. And you can also head over to the show's social media. We're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, we're on YouTube, TikTok. At some point I think it's coming, but that's more just to have fun with. Follow on that because again, it still helps exposure. It still helps to be seen and to help others know that I'm here and that I'm trying my best to ensure that platform that speaks to us and that doesn't sugarcoat (laughs) on all Anyways, I will catch you guys next time, Tuesdays, Thursdays, either with myself or myself and a friend, and we're going to keep it going. There's so much more in store this season. So thank you guys so much for listening thus far and for continuing to support the show, especially after a year of doing this. I'm really grateful that you guys are enjoying the content and just want to get more connected with you guys and uh, find out what more I can do. So until then, I will catch you guys next week. Peace. Thank you.